Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to have you all here again. I'm Caroline. I'm your host. And today, we have an incredibly exciting topic with an incredibly exciting guest. I'm pumped to bring you tactical multi-threading strategies to move deals forward. We have none other than Kristen Connor here. She is a phenomenal woman in sales at User Gems. Uh, Kristen, why don't you intro yourself to the audience here? Well, I'm. That was very nice of you to say. I'm super excited to be here. Um, the things that people kind of comment on in my background is I started as a history teacher and then have gone on to do sales for three different unicorn companies and been lucky enough to be at um, Tableau and Salesforce and then Outreach and then now kind of checking off a bucket list item and and starting with the company from Series A. So now I use your gems. So I've been, have sold to lots of folks and lots of industries and uh, like to help people learn from my mistakes. <laughs> and I love it. That's fantastic. So before we dive into today's topic, I want to remind everyone in the audience here, if you haven't already, go ahead and scan this QR code. If you really are looking to level up your sales skills in 2023 and heck, 2024, because apparently we're very close to 2024 now, you are not going to want to miss uh, Sell Better's incredible sales tools. So get the latest actionable tactics from all of the top sales pros in this space by scanning this QR code. You're going to get instant access to a ton of on-demand training content. I've used it myself. I've had teams who have used it. It is genuinely the best of the best. You don't want to miss this. So scan this QR code right now. Big thank you to our partners. So today we have Gong, Vidyard, and JV Sales. Huge thank you for helping to make these shows possible. Uh, our daily drop, which is going to be in the chat here, is actually from Gong. It's Gong's Engage. So go ahead and check that out. Maybe uh, click the link and then save it for after this show. And let's dive into it, Kristen. What do you think? I'm really excited to start talking about this. So today's agenda is, uh, you know, really all about multi-threading. It's tactical. We want to talk about what multi-threading is and why you should use it in your sales cycles. We also want to talk about when and how to multi-thread for better deal outcomes and then kind of finally how to recognize and avoid common multi-threading mistakes. If you stay till the end, I think Kristen and I both have some horror stories about multi-threading that's let's light you. <laughs> um, but before we dive in, who's in the room? Uh, I would love to know what your title is. This will kind of help us guide the conversation. We'd love to know if there are more SDRs in the room, AEs, leaders. So go ahead and let us know who you are. And after you do this, please put in the chat where you're, call where you're calling in from because it's always so interesting to see like how wide the reach is from The Daily Show. So I'm based in Austin, Texas, but I'm in San Francisco right now. And Kristen, you're in Dallas, right? Yeah, two Texans. Just, I, and we just moved from Austin, so very familiar. Oh, cool. I'm seeing a lot of, oh, Connecticut. I'm from Massachusetts, so... Peoria. Is that Peoria, Illinois? Peoria. There's Peoria, Kansas, too. Ooh. United Kingdom. Okay. We've got Ireland. Nice. Oh, my gosh. Rhode Island. Okay, cool. I'm going to stop peeking out over where everyone is now. Okay. Jim, Peoria, Illinois. So, Kristen, you know, to start this discussion, I really just want to begin by having you define multi-threading. I think a lot of folks who join this call might 
even be wondering what that is. Yeah, I think people have a general idea of what it is that they wouldn't be here. I think what it isn't, though, it's not mass emailing a group of people, right? So when you mass emailing is absolutely easier for the rep, it is um, not nearly as valuable for the team that you're that you're wanting to influence here. Uh, so you want to be single thread. You want to start single threaded lines of communication with anybody that can influence your deal, but it, it needs to be you know single emails. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first is everyone is everyone works in their own self-interest right like this is just something that happens and so what our product or service does is going to solve a different problem for different people and so if we work with vps of sales and vps of operations and we mix those messages together it's irrelevant people are going to tune it out no one wants to read your email of like the 10 problems you solve for the 10 influencers you're dealing with that's too much. You're asking them to do too much. It's you're, you're giving them homework if you're giving them a two-page email to read and they're going to tune out. Um, the other thing is they will folks will tell you things in single threads of communication they would never put on something that's going out via mass blast, right? And also that kind of brings it to the point like uh, multi-threading doesn't just have to be emails. Uh, it can also, I love, uh, if, if folks are active on LinkedIn, uh, I love using LinkedIn messages to multi-thread because people will put things, people will message you things via LinkedIn that they will never put in the email their company can read, right? Or or chat or, you know, text you on something that the, a device their company can see, right? So uh, yeah, I, I, LinkedIn inbox is kind of like a halfway point between email and texting. It's like not as intimate as texting, but it's much more personal than just their inbox. So, uh, and multi-threading also doesn't have to be just us multi-threading with different members of our buying group. It can also be our, our executives, executives that we line up and do title matching. So I think there's a lot of things that it's not. Mm. I love that. And we're going to touch on all of those things that you just said in more detail. So that's a really fantastic way to start this this show. Um, and I forgot to mention, if anyone has questions, put it in the Q&A box or put it in the chat. Either or, we will get to it. So Kristen, to start, I want to kind of double click on everything that you just said. Um, but I want to start with aligning higher level titles with higher level titles. So what does this mean? What What are we doing when we align higher level titles with higher level titles? And can you give some examples of messaging with yeah. this tactic? Mm -hmm. So you'll hear people talk about um, this as executive alignment in deals. You'll hear people talk about title matching. All that means is basically I'm introducing my CEO to their CXO or my VP of marketing to their VP of marketing. It's you are matching people's titles because Folks with executive titles are going to be much more open and speak more freely generally mm -hmm. uh, to someone who has a title similar to theirs versus a sales rep. And the the goal of aligning titles and in making those introductions is for the executives to start a separate thread of communications themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be a part of it, but obviously I'm I'm updating you know, my executive saying, hey, here's what's going on in the deal. Can you ask about this? Can you send a little note about that? 
Um, so I'm still influencing that thread, but I want them to start their own because it there's going to be better communication that happens when it's like that. Um, what I typically do is I have a, a email template that I send to our executives that literally spells it out. It, at the top, it will just say, you know, customer name. I will usually put their LinkedIn um, profile link. I will put their email. I will put the subject line of the email. And then I will have like a, you know, short uh, templated thing that I just tweak a little bit saying, you know, hey, I'm Christian, CEO of User Gems. Understand that you're, uh, you know, taking a look at our platform. I'm delighted we've made it to your shortlist. If you choose to move forward with us, I just want to tell you our customer success teams are going to, you know, do everything to make you successful from, you know, the ground up. Please message me personally, you know, if there's anything I can do. It's something like that. And and that's relevant to send to pretty much anyone. So I just use a template and just tweak it a little bit and then send it off. It, because one of the main things in sales is friction reduction, meaning make it easy. And that includes internal resources. Make it easy for them to help you. It's especially true in enterprise selling where half of the selling you do is going to be internal teams where you're asking people to help you. Make it easy for them to help you. They're going to fire that off a lot faster than um, saying, hey, can you give them a quick call? And they're like juggling 200 emails and, yeah. you know, hype reviews. It's not going to happen. And I think to your point, you know, making it easier for them to sell on your behalf internally means enabling them, like sending them relevant content, sending them relevant, you know, FAQs or little video demos. So if you're a seller and you're watching this and you're kind of thinking, how would I do this? Think about what a VP of sales would want to see. You're selling into the sales sector, for example. What does a VP of sales care about? What is their POV when they use your tool? Create little videos for them. Create like segmented persona content so that you can like a- actually send relevant content to people. I think that's great, Kristen. Um, can you give us an example of a time that you aligned a higher level to a higher level and it worked really well? And, and maybe if there was anything unique about it that worked really well? Yeah, uh, there was time. It was a deal last year where aligning, where title matching literally saved the deal. Um, I inherited a deal mid-flight that was very multi-threaded in only one department that we sold into, and it was IT. And um, and I, as soon as I took over the deal, the iron immediately was like, oh my God, we're at risk because our other two departments were not very multi-threaded into them. And I did some research and I knew that their chief growth officer had some very specific goals and uh, very specific things he wanted to accomplish. And so I uh, introduced him to our VP of marketing. And then also I sent him updates, like three bullet point updates every time I met with his team, just to keep him abreast of where we were in the deal. And then I would let our VP know, like, hey, we met with his team. This is, you know, can you ping him and that sort of thing. What's important and interesting to call out is he never replied to the to any email I sent him. Ever. I could see that he opened it many times and that's the thing I cared about. And um, and then at the end of the deal, um, IT did not fully understand um, our you know unique differentiators and was really trying to nail us on uh, negotiations. And um, and so I was able to bring in our VP of marketing. And I remember us going back and forth on Slack on a Saturday being like, hey, 
I need you to reach out to that CGO right now because he doesn't realize IT is trying to gut this thing. They're not going to get what they want from this. And so then she starts texting him. And and ultimately, that relationship saved that deal. We would never have won it without that. I never spoke to the man. He never joined a call. He never replied to an email. So the reply is not the point. It's really aligning them with those titles that can that can absolutely save your deals. Mic drop. Mic drop moment, frankly. I love that. <laughs> and it's it's so important because if you wait too long to loop in decision makers and folks with power, you might have a lovely chat with a with a champion. You might have a lovely chat with a super fan of your company. And then eventually it's a month later and you're like, great, so when are we closing? And they're like, oh, well, I got to talk to the decision makers. And it's like, you could have used that month of time to do what you just explained doing, to align titles with titles. It almost, uh, Kristen, it almost sounds like you were sending like a mini newsletter to like a a little newsletter of updates, deal updates to people. Is that kind of how you describe it or? Um, Newsletter makes it, updates definitely, newsletter makes it sound long. Um, <laughs> like I, I'm dealing with executives, so I I try to keep it to like three bullet points. They should be able to read it on their cell phone without scrolling. Um, it should speak only to impact. It should. The goal is to never mention my product by name. It sh- it it is naming their problem, naming their impact, um, both on the updates to the executives. Whenever I'm telling them, hey, we met with your team. Here's the impact of what we did. Here's the numbers we're going to quantify next time. Here's our next meeting. Like very, very short, 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 so that they just get value and understand like they're being kept in the loop. And same with my executives. I want to say like, here's the, here's what we talked about. One of the other things you mentioned, kind of um, value adds that executive can send an, an executive enablement. Um, if some is a competitor of theirs is doing something with our company or doing something new in the space. I will send them a link to like the article, the news release, like their story, their, you know, their testimonial for us and be like, hey, they're going to be interested to know that their biggest competitor just announced XYZ. And those definitely get some ideas. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be about our product. It's things it's anything that's of value, but you got to keep it real short and sweet. Yeah, you're really you're really doing yourself a favor by doing that because, you know, again, you don't want to get to the end of a long, tedious deal cycle and suddenly find out that there are five people who would have needed yeah. to be involved. So yep. I love that. I really love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we talked about in the pre-call that I think is good to mention here as far as not doing it too late, um, we need multi-threading starts, should start before the first meeting ever happens. As soon as we get... A meeting on our calendar, we should be looking at, okay, I know that my buying committee typically includes pers- people with these titles. And uh, I think we're going to get into that with that three by three by three, but but that, but there's a specific way that I use to get multi-threading starting before that meeting even happens so that you don't get boxed out by that first person you meet with because um, they're not a champion yet, right? And and also anybody who who doesn't help us talk to more people in the organization is probably not a champion. They may be a fan, but they're not a champion. They're not somebody who's going to stick their neck out for us a little bit or put their put a little skin in the game. It's important to have all of them, but it's important to know who you got. Yeah. So let's I want to I want to talk about your 3 by 3 by 3 rule. I think that this is going to be really really valuable for the audience. Um and then I want to touch on finding the best champion, identifying the best champion. 
Kristen, do you want to talk the audience through what this slide means and what this kind of three by three by three rule is for you? Yeah, this is something I'm a big fan of systems for myself uh, because I don't want to have to reinvent the wheel. And so this is the way that I started thinking about doing multi-threading before the first meeting even starts. And so once that meeting comes through on the calendar, whether it's something that I've sourced or something that, you know, uh, an SDR team has sourced for me, I want to find three people with executive level titles in the organization that are people that I typically sell to, mm-hmm. right? And I then I want to take three actions before that first meeting. And I have a template for this. And generally it goes something like, um, you know, Hey, Caroline, I wanted to let you know I'm meeting with your VP of marketing on Monday. And the topic of our conversation is XYZ. You know, VPs in your position don't always join these calls, but I wanted to let you know it's happening and keep you in the loop. Let me know if you'd like an invite. No worried. If not, I'll just keep you updated as the conversation progresses. And so that does a number of things, It, but it, it helps me... Um, it helps there be a buzz about you and the organization before you start, right? Because uh, people are going around asking questions like, oh, you're meeting with so-and-so. Sometimes people in different departments, especially in enterprise, are trying to solve the same problem and they don't know that their executive peer is trying to solve this problem. So they're like, oh, God, yeah, we've also been looking at ways to do this. Let's, you know, let's join this or let me know how it goes or it starts that conversation. So it's it's helpful to everyone. Um, and it also, like I mentioned, it helps you keep from getting boxed out if that first call isn't a champion uh, or is your first call could be somebody who wants to block you, right? At first, somebody who takes a meeting with you does not make them a champion. They haven't done anything for you yet. And, um, and so it, it kind of it helps you get established and you don't, it helps alleviate that fear of, oh my God, I'm going around someone. You've you've already introduced yourself before the meeting even starts. You're not going around anybody. Um, and so the three actions, I mentioned kind of that template that I send email, that's, that's actually the third of the three things. Uh, the first thing is I look to see if they're active on LinkedIn. If they are, I try to comment on anything they've posted and adding value, right? Not just being like, great post, but if you're like, Hey, it looks like your team, you know, you got your team together last week. You know, leaders who do this really understand great team culture. Like, I'm sure it was a great meeting, like something like that, right? Because <clears throat> typical leaders, uh, you know, might have 200 emails, but they might get five LinkedIn comments, right? It's a great way to stand out above the noise and have some name recognition. Um, and then, then that same day that I, you know, try to comment on their thing, then I try to connect with them on LinkedIn saying, you know, hey, you did a great post about, you know, your team culture last week. I'd love to connect. Um, and, and I recognize too that not every industry is active on LinkedIn. I sold too many of them that are not like education, healthcare, public sector, construction. Like there's plenty that aren't, but if they are, uh, I would suggest that way. Also, like give, give them a Google because sometimes they're active on Twitter. Um, if you sell the education, superintendents or assistant superintendents almost always are, have a Twitter account because they're updating folks of like stuff that's happening in the district. They get zero comments on that. <laughs> like <laughs> I definitely uh, made my name uh, recognizable to several superintendents by commenting on their Twitter. So so it doesn't have to be LinkedIn. Um, and then three-step follow-up. Um, I then create a um, like a sequence for myself 
to remember to update these folks as the deal progresses, right? Again, I have to be systematic about it because I, I won't remember, right? And I don't want a bunch of stuff cluttering up my calendar. So I will set, I have a little sequence that I've built for myself. It's just a generic task that says, hey, you know, update all, you know, executives on, you know, deal progress. And, uh, and then it will also remind me to ping them again on LinkedIn. Commenting again, again, it's all give. You're just adding value. You're not asking for anything, but it's a way to like keep you top of mind without those annoying, like just checking in emails that nobody should say, right? Love that. And we already have so many questions and like folks wanting to learn more about everything you're saying. Kristen, I think this is fantastic. And it's great that you're building out a course about multi-threading that people can take advantage of. Um, so we'll talk about that like kind of towards the end because I'm sure people will want to find you and, you know, talk more about this. But for folks in the audience, put a one in the chat if you have ever proactively multi-threaded. Like you're multi-threading before the first conversation. Put a one in the chat if that sounds like you. Put a two in the chat if you feel like you're multi-threading way too late in the deal. Robert says zero. <laughs> Yeah, so a two in the chat if you're multi-threading way too late in the deal and you're realizing that from this webinar. Because I personally, looking back on my time in sales, I realize now I was multi-threading way too late in the game. Seeing a lot oh, yeah. of views here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's something that I've only done recently because it just didn't, I hit my head against that so many times where it didn't work doing it late, right? And I see a question about, um, you know, do you think that, this is a question that happens a lot. Uh, if you start reaching out before the first meeting, do you think the person has scheduled it will get offended if I go over their head and reach out to their executive? What if they haven't kept their VP informed? Um, yeah, that that happens where managers, you know, evaluate a tool before, um, uh, you know, before they bring their exec in. That definitely, they can definitely do that. Um, one way that I kind of push back one way that I kind of message that either as I'm making, let's say I'm multi-threaded, you know, before the meeting starts and then I start a meeting with you, Caroline. And what I, how I would introduce that is this is something I learned from Jamal Roy where it's an absolute like ninja move. And, you know, I would say to you, you know, hey, Caroline, it's great to talk with you today. I'm glad we got a chance to speak. I've been reaching out to several people in your organization I reached out to Molly, your VP of marketing. I have some emails into Judd, who's your you know VP of operations. So I'm naming the people that I've already contacted. And then I say something like, you know, it's great to get your perspective on what's happening in the organization. I'm excited to hear from you. So I'm kind of gently communicating to you that I'm already communicating with people in your organization. And probably, honestly, especially in enterprise, I've probably sent them emails way before this multi-thread, right? Like we've been, these meetings don't come easily. No one gets meetings easily, right? And so like we've been reaching out for a while. Uh, and so then I'm, I'm telling you like, I know these people in your organization. I've already contacted them and also noted that I didn't ask you for any introduction. I've told you who I'm reaching out to. And I say, I want your perspective, but I'm not, going to allow you, I'm not asking you to be an introduction machine and therefore I'm not allowing you to be a gatekeeper in this organization. Uh, and and yeah, sometimes, man sometimes managers or directors will be like, hey, yeah, I saw you reached out to my VP. Like they didn't necessarily know, you know, that I was evaluating this. And, you know, again, like the, the messaging of like, yeah, 
I've already, I've been reaching out to your VP for six months. I wanted to let him or her know, like now we're meeting on this in case they want to join. Um, but also if anybody gets too offended by that and immediately wants to like box you in, that's like a red flag. They are not going to be a champion for your thing, right? And so like, that's also good to know that they're not going to be someone that helps you. They might be, you know, they might be surprised that you reached out. But if someone did that where, you know, with one of my VPs, they said, hey, you know, I actually already messaged Trinity, your VP of marketing, been trying to get a hold of her. And be like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that you, you know, try to get a hold of her. But if I'm in love with your thing, then I'm like, oh, great. Then I'll, I'll report back to her, you know, how this meeting went. And that way she already knows I've already laid the groundwork. It's coming. Like if someone tries to block you just because you sent an email or a voicemail, they're not going to be that helpful. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's such a good point. And honestly, you bring up a really good point too about, you know, if they are going to block you and box you in after that, they're probably not going to be a good champion. And that brings us very seamlessly to our next point, um, which is or our next topic rather, which is how to pick a champion. Um, you know, you don't just want to pick a fan. You want to pick a champion. This is something you said the other week when we met to prep for this show. Do you want to go into this a little and kind of tell us how to identify a really good champion? Yeah. And, and when people say this, when you just look at this statement, it, it makes it sound easy. Like you're just like picking out the right apple, right? That's right. not, <laughs> not it. I wish it was that easy. You're going to have to go along in the deal a little bit before you really start to understand who is a fan and who is a champion. A fan is somebody who likes your thing, right? And feels like it could help them or their team. But what they're not going to do is they're not going to stick their neck out for you in, in any kind of way. They're not going to make an introduction. They're not going to tell you about, you know, what the initiative, like the internal vocabulary that's happening. They're not going to give you the scoop on something. They're not going to, you know, tell you the real deal, that sort of thing. And so anybody, so that's a fan. Now that's not a, those are good people to have in your corner. Uh, it's not that it's a bad thing. You just need to under, you just need to label them correctly in your mind that you don't have a champion. And loosely how I define champion is someone with so, with power or influence who will stick their neck out for you or for your thing, right? And so if, if you don't have those two things, if they have no power or influence, they're a fan, which is great. Uh, but again, like then you know you need to keep searching for that champion. And you're only gonna find that out by just asking them to do little things uh, you know, hey, you know, typically, you know, I see Maria is your VP of RevOps. Typically, VP of RevOps is involved. Uh, you know, I've reached out to ping her. Uh, you know, who would be a good person to make that introduction? And if they're like, oh, you know, that's probably not a good idea, then it's like, nope, they're not going to stick their neck out. You just give them these little, you're teaching them how to buy. Like, typically, we might need to, you know, make an introduction to legal at this point. If they're not going to do that, then you're you're learning that they're they they may be a fan they may be a blocker they may just be learning about you because they don't like your thing and they want to compare it to the thing they like so i mean just because somebody's talking to you does not mean they're friendly um so there's there's a lot of nuance there but it's really just about being aware and not getting happy ears just because someone will talk to you doesn't mean that they are in a position to help you Oof, that is, and it's hard truth too for a lot of folks because I think sellers especially are prone to happy ears because so much of our comp is based on, you know, whether or not people will talk to us. So 
I uh-huh. put such a good point around like really, really differentiating between someone who's maybe just a fan, someone who's comparing your your product or solution and someone who will actually sell for you. Um, so we've talked about this a little and I just want to double click onto it a little bit more before we attack some of these questions here, the Q&A chat. Um, Kristen, when you are reaching out to folks and you are kind of segmenting the different personas that you have, has there been a specific piece of content or a specific way that you deliver value, whether that's an email, whether that's a video that you send, a sandbox demo, anything like that that you use when you're reaching out to folks at a company? Yeah, I am a big fan of segmentation both by, uh, so in large enterprise deals, I mean, this is, this is, you need to scale this back a little bit if what you sell is more transactional, but I segment it like three different ways. I segment it by department, right? So generous. So who buys my stuff is VPs of sales, VPs of marketing and like rev up sales up, right? So one, which department are they a part of, right? Because we're going to solve different problems for different departments. Um, you know, be rev ops, sales ops is interested in data and clean data and reporting, right? Sales is interested in closed one, you know, marketing or business development interested in pipeline. Like those are close, but they're not the same thing, right? So like you, you have to understand the problems you solve for each department. Then I want to know power level, right? There's three different power levels that we could be dealing with. There's end user, there's manager, there's executive. An end user cares about, does this thing make it easier or harder to do my job? Like, that's it. Does this make my day-to-day life easier? The manager cares about, does this help my team in any way with a metric that they are measured on, right? Whether it's revenue, you know, bandwidth, what, you know, efficiency, whatever. Um, And then executives care about things like risk and market share. If you talk to an exec, if you send something to an executive about the features and day easier, then do not care. Yeah. It is, it's just noise and you're making yourself irrelevant. Right. Um, the other thing that I think about ideal cycle is where in the customer buying journey they are. At the beginning of the buyer journey, they care about um, features, you know, especially end users and managers care more about the thing can't like the the questions they're asking themselves is is this problem big enough to solve right and so then my my messaging is around that um number two is the next thing they want to know is like is this you know vendor the right person the right place to solve this problem right and so then i'm trying to be consultative and be like hey you know people are evaluating folks in this space they're generally looking at x y and z these are things you might want to evaluate you might want to take into consideration in your evaluation right? No matter who you're looking at. And then at the end, they're more concerned about risk than anything else. What is the risk? Like we already identified, yeah, it's a problem, but like this problem has been a problem for a while. If we don't do anything, yeah, it's still a problem. But if I attach my name to a solution and that thing fails, that's very, very risky. And so then my messaging is around folks in their space who have had good results, folks in their, these are like, you know, trying to line up like customer reference calls, sending them case studies from people that are like them. Like it's, so the, the third one is like um, phase of the buying journey, right? Um, and so it's it's different 
as you go as you go along. And again, if what you're selling is more transactional, those things are still true. It just might not. You just might need to go might not need to go as deep on all of them. But for an enterprise deal, it's going to take you a year to three years. Like you're going to have to deal with all of this. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I'm sure we have a wide array of folks in the chat who are working with larger enterprise deals, working more transactional deals. So I really appreciate you breaking that down and kind of explaining the difference there. So I would love to get to some of the questions. We have about 10 minutes left and, and we have a few questions in the chat. So Kathy asks, at what point in your deal cycle do you get cell phone numbers from prospects and ask if they want to communicate via text? What do you think, Kristen? As soon as possible. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, you have to feel it out. You, you know, it can't be like inappropriate, uh, you know, but, you know, there, it has to be like a natural way to ask. You know, like, hey, you know, sometimes like if they if they set up a meeting, but they're going to miss the meeting, like, hey, do you mind if I text you if something so if something goes a little askew, I can, you know, reach out to you quickly, like during the meeting, like there's a, they're generally natural points, just like you would ask a friend of yours, like, and like, it feels like a, it should feel like a natural thing. Um, and also, like, if you get the sense that someone's going to be a champion, and they're going to kind of give you the scoop, you can, you know, turn off your recording and be like, Hey, you know, just so you know, a lot of people, whenever they want to, me to know certain things about their organization or the lay of the land, they find texting might be a bit easier. Also, like LinkedIn inbox can be a bit easier. You know, is there, you know, would you prefer to, you know, kind of move this conversation to one of those places? Like you're letting them opt in. So, but yeah, as soon as, as soon as possible with as many people as possible. Yeah, I could not agree more. I would say personally, the texting thing for me, I've never tried it. I think I was an SDR before that was really like a tactic that people were trying out. So, you know, uh, it seems like a bold move, but like one that could really pay off for sure, especially as you develop that like actual genuine relationship with someone. Yeah. Yeah. It can't, you know, it can't be into the first meeting is like next steps is we exchange cell numbers and I'll, and also I'll share my Instagram like that. Yeah. Not what it is, you know, like, you know, yeah, it's to be natural. Yeah. Exactly. I will say, Kathy, I think that, you know, if you're using tools to find direct numbers, you might have a better chance at people picking up. You will also get people being like, how the heck did you get my cell phone number? Don't ever call me again. So you will find that some people prefer email. But I will say, like, there's nothing like a cold call. There's nothing like just getting someone on the line and having them be receptive to two minutes of a quick chat. Um, so great question. So Kate says, you mentioned some multi-threading templates you have, Kristen. Would you mind sharing some of those after this meeting? Kristen, I know you're creating a course. So curious how how people might be able to kind of get in touch with you slash um, get some of these resources. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've posted uh, about that on LinkedIn. Um, I also have um, some playbooks um, that are like prospecting and then also closing playbooks and those templates are in there and then also yeah we're now i'm announcing uh, a course so you can keep your eye on linkedin because all of all of this and much more as far as really in-depth stuff will be going into um and that's something that yeah multi-threading you, you know early and often but even late stage in the deal but but folks you know like the one thing I always think to myself at this time of year is like winter is coming right but so is but so is q1 right like the one of the hardest things about sales is 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 evening out that ebb and flow between like closing deals and then opening pipeline and so like don't ignore Q1 pipeline right like it may like yeah you should try to multi thread your Q4 deals it may be a, a little late to get a lot of traction but these are things you definitely want to try to do 
in for your Q1 deals. So yeah, I would yeah be be trying to uh, introduce those as quickly as possible into those deals. Yeah, I could not agree more. Um, so we have a question in the chat. How do you multi-thread with your BDRs and how do they support? So I feel like a lot of what we've talked about on this show is is kind of how to do that. Um, and this this was recorded, by the way. So if anyone wants to go back, watch this, get some of these tactics. Um, I'd say, you know, rolling this out to your BDR team, um, really, like Kristen mentioned earlier, having systems in place, having frameworks in place so that you're not having to reinvent the wheel every time, so that you're not having to write a brand new email every time templatize everything to the best of your ability. Kristen, do you agree with that? Like, what, what would you say there? Yeah. And and in enterprise, um, this is a place where if you're lucky enough to have SDR, BDR support, you you really, really can tag team really well. Um, I always try to be cognizant of how the BDR or SDR is comped. So if they are comped on creating meetings, right, then what I, and if they've set, let's say they've set that first meeting with the director of marketing, what I will then, you know, propose them is like, hey, if you want to do this multi-threading sequence with these three VPs that we would communicate with, if you want to kick that off and you get meetings with these other ones, because sometimes they don't want to join the first meeting. Sometimes they want their own meeting, right? So they can just, you know, talk about their thing. Um, what I do, and lovely my sales managers are not listening, but what I do is I'm not as far as opening another op to show another meeting set because that meeting is super valuable for me. In enterprise, like you're not gonna meet one time. So until organizations change the way BDRs are comped to allow them to be comped multiple times for like getting strategic meetings, I will not hesitate to open up another op and be like, because uh, I'm not paid to open meetings, I'm paid to close deals. So yeah. like, I'll, I'll create five ops if we need to, you know, and close them out. And then until we get that ultimate, like all the information we need to talk about the problem that we're going to solve. So I really try, like, I'm not going to ask an SDR or BDR to do something like spend time on something with it that they're not going to get comps for. But it's like a win-win because they can message and communicate and get the time on the calendar while I'm doing other things. So totally worth it. I would say, yeah, definitely try to strategize with, um, SDRs and BDRs when you can. And uh, and just in another kind of partnership angle with that, at, as SDRs and BDRs get people on the phone to set those meetings, sometimes they're going to come across these little nuggets of information, right? Like in like the fact that this initiative is called Project Pipeline for this year, you know, or, you know, our project like the road to 25 million or 5 million in five years. Whatever that internal vocabulary is, if they like you should be having weekly or bi-weekly meetings as a SDR AE team so that you can pass that information back and forth. Um, but however you get it, internal vocabulary is super, super helpful for multi-threading. Um, once I figure out what the name of their like initiative is, I will put that that's actually the the chief growth officer I mentioned. Um, they had, um, it was like project pipeline growth. And so I just in there, in the subject line of every email I sent to him was project pipeline growth. Like this is a thing they already recognize. So it, it you know, it makes us sound like one of us, not an outsider, right? I less When I was in sales enablement, I used to tell people use their language. Like Nike calls their employees athletes. And so whenever you're talking about employees, call them athletes. Like there, there are little yeah. things you can do like that, that, yeah. you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be, um, I don't know what the word is, like soppy about it. Like, yeah. 
yeah, you don't want to be an outsider. You don't you don't want, you don't want to adopt too much of their language, but you definitely want to do what you can. And I love that subject line that you used, Kristen. That's brilliant. Yeah, the internal vocabulary will give you will get you everywhere. Right. Love it. So our last question that I think we will touch on for today, we kind of already touched on, um, but someone in the chat asked us how, like, would you want to uh, get permission to name drop who you are speaking with? I just want to kind of double click on that because I think that there's also a way at the end of a really good cold call, let's say, or at the end of a really good meeting with someone, regardless of whether you book the meeting or not, regardless of whether it was super positive or not, as an SDR, I always used to say, Kristen, great chat just now. I feel like I learned a lot about your goals and XYZ. Hey, I'm going to reach out to John Doe tomorrow. Do you mind if I just mentioned that you and I spoke? It'll give me a leg up, you know, when I go to reach out. And then it's a Sam McKenna special to put that in the subject line of the email to whoever you're reaching out to next. Like, just spoke to Kristen yes. or something like A hundred percent. You also give them the freedom to say no, right? Which everybody likes freedom. Right. And and if they say no, uh, what I like to do then in, in the subject line of that email is just spoke to one of your BDRs, just spoke to one of your marketing managers. Now, provided that this is a big enough company that they don't just have one SDR or one marketing manager, like, right. you don't want <laughs> them. If they don't want to use your name, you don't want to make it, you know, immediately identifiable. But just spoke to a just spoke to a member of your team. And then you have to line out the things you've learned that you know, but there's if folks because sometimes if people are telling you, I've had um, you know, individual contributors that be like, Hey, I will tell you what's going on, but you can't use my name. And I will do that absolutely be like, Of course, I'm not gonna, you know, you're giving me the skinny, I'm not gonna like, you know, blow your cover. But and so I can be like, Hey, I spoke to, you know, you have th- you know, three, you know, AE teams. I spoke to five of your AEs. Here are the things they told me. And what's interesting about that, and that and that can be true for whatever marketing, if you're selling to engineering, I spoke to three of your engineers, right? I spoke to five of your developers, whatever you're because the higher up the the higher up the power line you go, the less candidly people speak to yeah. to a VP, to a CXO. And so if you're telling them things their team is saying, problems their team is having, things they're running into, and they don't know them. They don't, I mean, they don't know those things are happening. That is, that's a value add. People talk about value add and it's kind of squishy. That's very valuable for them to have, right? And if they, if you're confirming problems they already knew existed, then at the very least you're, you're telling them you've done the homework, you're dialed in, you're working to understand their problem. Like there's, it's, you know, there's not, it's not a, it's hard to lose doing that. I could not agree more. I th- this All of this for you, Kristen, has been worth its weight in gold. Thank you so much for your insights today. Um, we're going to wrap in just a couple minutes. But before we do, Kristen, I know um, you mentioned you have some resources on your LinkedIn. Let's drop your LinkedIn in the chat here so that folks can connect with you. Um, is there anywhere else that folks should connect with you? Any Anything that you currently have? Great. There's Kristen's uh, LinkedIn there in the chat. Anything you currently have up and running? I know you mentioned a course uh, coming later, so let let us know. Yeah, yeah. The multi-threading course is um, coming out soon. There's um, a pipeline generation playbook that I have, and then also a closing playbook that I have. And um, folks can get a preview of that on my website, which is just kristenconnor.com. You can get a free discovery guide um, on my website as well. Um, I spent 10 years 
legit 10 years trying to find discovery questions that would work for me in whatever uh, organization I'm selling with and whoever I'm selling to, right? Because generally what we're taught in onboarding is feature function or like gotcha questions that like are around the features of our thing. But the the best conversations are business conversations. And those are the same no matter who you're selling to, right? Leaders care about risk. They care about their initiatives. They care about, um, you know, things that are happening in the next six months. Um, and so there's a way. Um, and so, yeah, that's what's in the discovery guide because I'm like, I, I spent so many years banging my head against the wrong things um, that if people have helped, different people helped me. So I like to help uh, folks that are trying to trying to learn faster than I did. I could not, I, I, that's a, a wonderful attitude to have about it, Kristen, and it shows, and you are wonderful to speak with. Thank you so much for your time today. We do have to wrap everyone. Um, feel free to check out Kristen on LinkedIn, Kristen's website. And of course, if you want to connect with us on the Sell Better Team side, here are all of our social handles. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a wonderful Wednesday, whatever day it is. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Bye.